Welcome to episode 62 of UAB Green and Told. Original air date, Monday, January 3rd, 2022. This podcast gives us an opportunity to share stories from members of the UAB community. Listen back to previous episodes at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold on Spotify or with the Apple Podcast app. And while there, leave a written review so we continue to grow and reach more alumni. I'm Greg Barry, a UAB alum and assistant director in the Office of Alumni Affairs. Today, we catch up with alumnus Brady McLaughlin, founder and CEO of Go Rescue Brands. Through his position, Brady pushes life-saving skills, something he determined would be his career path when he was just a teen. When I became an EMT in high school, I realized I have a passion for helping people. So as Brady will share, he set out to establish a company to train students on things like CPR, AD, and first aid. The thing is, their approach didn't have goals for growth. We really didn't have, and this is embarrassing to say, especially those of y'all who are my business professors at UAB, you, you may be disappointed, but we didn't establish the goals or the smart objectives like we should have at the beginning. After the initial learning curve of starting a new business, Brady saw things start to take shape, kind of a build it and they will come scenario. And people came, folks came to our classes and I was blown away that people even knew how to get out there. Always growing up, Brady McLaughlin was fascinated with red and blue lights. He wanted to be a cop or a firefighter. While his career path would change as he grew, it didn't alter much from his days of being a beach brat in South Alabama. You know, it's funny if you call it that. You know, when I was um, when I one of my first you know full time jobs was a beach patrol officer for the Fairhope Police Department, and I was did nothing but focus on patrolling the Fairhope Beach, which really isn't like compared to a Gulf Shores Beach or Orange Beach Beach. I got so uh, accustomed to being down by the water that um, I became more and more interested in being skiing and in the mountains, the complete opposite end of it. So I guess if you're inundated with it, it it becomes normal and familiar to you. So, but yes, you can call me that. So as a kid, what were you like? What did you enjoy doing? This is funny. So sometimes, and Greg, you may have had this experience, maybe not, but sometimes if you're three or four or five years old, you get, you have the stage where you're infatuated with uh, red and blue lights and sirens. Well, I never really grew out of that stage, and uh, that's what I was like. So I was always focused on what could I do to uh, further my pursuits of being in public safety. And so I did uh, Boy Scouts. I jumped on the swim team. I was a soccer referee. I started a police and fire explorers post, and uh, I, I really enjoyed the public service side. I, in fact, I, my parents would take me on fire calls to the volunteer fire department when there were calls that I could go to or if I could ride my bike to them, I would. But that's the kind of kid I was. Um, I had no interest in ever getting married or having kids or anything. In fact, my goal in life was to be on the uh, on the presidential protection detail of the United States Secret Service. That was my goal. So, uh, and a lot has changed since then. Uh, but that's who I that's who I was as a kid. I was really focused on let's get done with school, let's move past all this, and get into the workforce. You say a lot has changed, but not really has because of where your career path went. Did you ever think when you were a kid that you'd actually be in the public safety field? Yeah, I kind of got to fulfill my dream. I never thought that, though, that by way of the, the academic pursuits at UAB, that I would be where I am today. And it's been a huge, very fun and very challenging at the same time. Um, and now I'm kind of on the support side, more of the public safety than the response side. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. So how did you set yourself up as a high schooler for success, considering this is the career path you wanted to take? 
my whole approach to everything in life is a holistic approach. Let's look at everything about the person, about the candidate, about, you know, if you're trying to apply for something. And, you know, I wasn't as passionate about academics in high school as I was in college. And I wasn't as passionate about academics in college as I was in grad school. And and my GPA reflected that. So I went from a a 3.5 in high school to a 3.8 in college. I went from a 3.8 in college to a 4.0 in grad school because the, the closer I got to the material I really wanted to study and learn, the more passionate I was, and that reflected in my grades. But thankfully, uh, I spent a lot more time focused on what can I do to distinguish myself in the non-academic ways uh, that, that can help me be a desirable candidate to an academic institution like UAB. And so that's where I achieved the rank of Eagle Scout, was captain of the swim team, learned Spanish, started a police and fires explorers post, volunteered, I think it was over 2,000 hours of time during high school doing police and fire volunteer work, and then went to EMT school at night at the University of South Alabama. There's just different things I could do to distinguish myself, and I think all those things played into that what helped me position myself well, not just as a candidate at UAB, but then as a student and then, uh, you know, a successful member of the a student body at UAB. Why UAB? I mean, you're a kid from the coast closer to other universities in Southern Alabama. So why here? I almost had every reason not to come to UAB. I think when I toured it, I didn't know anybody in Birmingham. I had not a single person I knew from Birmingham. When I toured it, it was a gloomy, rainy day and it was probably in February. I had already received acceptance letters from other universities, some of which, like you said, were closer to my home. And uh, ironically, I never really spent any time in Birmingham. But when I came on campus, and this was back in 05, early 06, during my senior year of high school, I realized, hey, there's a lot going on here. And there's a lot of room for growth. And there's a lot of room that I could potentially make a difference. And that's how I look at opportunities is not what's so comfortable and what's so put together, but hey, where can I go in and make a difference and where can I come out stronger on the other side and, and, and learn a lot through it? And that's, I think, why I landed on UAB through a lot of prayer and through kind of looking at it from that angle. You said that you had a holistic approach to the way that you approach your future career. What did UAB provide you so you can continue focusing on that career path? We used to jokingly call it the commons on the brown, which is the dining hall. We called it on the brown because there is a street there. And during most of my time in, in undergrad, it was brown because it was a, a work. They had the bulldozers out there and their street graders, and they were creating the whole commons on the green. And that kind of is a good analogy as to what my experience or what attracted me to UAB and what how I could keep continuing that path was, hey, look, this is, I mean, the rec center, I think, was just built. And uh, uh, Blazer Hall, I was the, the, the first round or the second round of freshmen in Blazer Hall. And in fact, I never even left Blazer Hall. I was there the entire time I was in college. I stayed in one uh, residence hall because I was a freshman and I, and I wanted to challenge myself and kind of help with the finances. So I became a resident assistant for the remaining time. But what it allowed me to do is uh, continue my, like you just said, continue my holistic approach. I was able to get involved with residence life and really loved that and made some lifelong friends just out of being a resident assistant. And I got to impact all the freshmen. Think about it. The most uh, impacted demographic in, in the student environment is, I think, the entering freshmen, the, 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 the underclassmen. And so I got to be there to help them in any way I could and, um, and, and be part of that residence life experience. I also helped start, I, I saw that uh, I ended up as a communication major and there was not a communication honor society. So I got to jump in and help create that, um, got involved with campus ministries as well. So that for me 
was at all while I was still commuting back and forth on the weekends to dispatch for the police department down in Baldwin County, Alabama. So um, I, uh, I I was not commuter in the sense of, hey, I live in the suburbs of Birmingham driving in. I was on campus and fully involved, but on the weekends when the commuter campus was that at the time, I was back dispatching. And I think what UAB offered me was the ability to be all in on campus and at the same time still be able to you know pursue my work endeavors to kind of further me along in, in my pursuit of the public safety career. Knowing that you wanted a career in public safety, you probably didn't know what you wanted to do exactly. So why communications? So I think the the, the most common denominator for any field to be successful in is strong communications. Now I'm in the business sector. If I can't communicate vision with our team, if I can't uh, help demonstrate need for our client, if I can't listen well uh, to our clients and to our team, and furthermore, if I can't build strategy and all that's communicated effectively, then we don't have a business and, and we're not gonna be you know, able to market ourselves. If you put that in the public safety side, I think uh, there's, there's not a lot of folks who, let me, let me phrase it this way. Public safety is, is, tends to be viewed as blue collar and vocational. But the more advanced training you get, whether it's an academic degree or technical training, uh, the, the further you can advance your agency, the further you can advance yourself. Uh, but in the end, it's all about serving the general public. And what I saw is, you know, I started as a 911 dispatcher. That's basic level communications, right? Yes, it's emergency, but it's basic level. When you're looking at a, at a larger organization or even a small one, uh, every organization inherently has a culture and that's usually formed by communication and how, how communication is managed, how it flows, um, how it's received, the whole process. And I knew that if I was going to be successful, I needed to distinguish myself. So I was looking either at accounting. Um, I know the federal law enforcement side and others, if you can understand numbers better, you can, you can be successful. But for me, that was also an area I wasn't terribly comfortable with. And so being in that communication program helped challenge me. And I think the saying is, Greg, you know, a lot of growth happens out of your comfort zone. So that's what I was focusing in on. That's why I ultimately landed there. I started with criminal justice, played in that little field for maybe a year and then landed in the communication side. You graduated from UAB in 2009 and then what? According to your resume, you're doing a bunch of different things. Yeah, I was trying to, again, distinguish myself. I'm still thinking that the, the federal law enforcement side could be a play. Um, so I went back to Fairhope. I ended up going to the police academy at Mobile Police Academy and then um, spent time on the fire department down there, too. And then I started applying for law school. So I, uh, I knew that having a law degree could help me. I ended up getting accepted in Birmingham, moved back and uh, went to law school for about a year. But, Greg, I quickly realized um, I, at the time I had just gotten married. Um, I was uh, working in law enforcement and also uh, working at a law office, clerking, and realized, man, this is a lot to manage. I was going to law school at night and doing all the rest during the day, and uh, I just wasn't deeply passionate about it. I, I realized, hey, this is, I don't know if I'm going to get as much out of this as I would like, and so I kind of transitioned out of law school, found another home, and uh, and did a grad degree in emergency management, also at a university in Alabama. I enjoyed that, and that, that kind of helped me um, kind of get the academic side that I wanted to get and round that out. With a background heavy in policing, at what point did you realize that it wasn't what you wanted to do and you changed your public safety path and ultimately founded your own company, Trio Safety, CPR, AED? When I became an EMT in high school, I realized I have a passion for helping people. And the downside of working in any type of healthcare or, or public safety is usually the difference you can make only happens when you're there at work. It only happens when you're working that 12-hour shift or 24-hour shift. And that, 
I, after we got married, we we're probably married for six months. Uh, we were just praying of how can we make a better difference of saving lives and always um, outside the context of the shift. And so we really got gave us this vision of, hey, let's teach people to save lives, because then if you teach them to save lives, then they'll be able to do that infinitely longer than anything you could do on a 12 hour shift or whatever. So that's what we did. So we started back on March 16th of 2012 at our kitchen table and our and, and also in our basement of we put down about $4,000 and bought all kinds of CPR mannequins and AED training devices and then launched a website and uh, went from there. And we thought we were busy, Greg. The first year we uh, trained 49 people and we thought we were slammed. Um, and then fast forward, I'll kind of make it short, but fast forward to today, we're doing about 33,000 people a year, which is more than the student body of uh, some universities. And altogether, we've trained about 150,000 people in CPR. We've trained over 1,700 CPR instructors and now have training sites, uh, 42 different ones all spread across the country. Um, so it's been a whirlwind to watch how just CPR training, something uh, that many people at UAB go through, whether it's uh, you're going through to be uh, exercise, you know, exercise science or exercise physiology, or um, whether it's nursing or you're on a pre-med path and you're, you're trying to go to PA school, whatever that looks like, uh, so many people have to get certified, but they just don't think about the logistics that go into it. And so it's been fascinating for us to kind of get in that industry and, and make a difference. The first year, you said you trained fewer than 49 individuals. You stated that you're a goal-oriented person and you wanted the company to grow. Did you ever think you'd get to a point where you're training 30,000 people a year? Not at all. Uh, never, never thought that. I never, you know, now that we start realizing there's so many people who need it, I mean, foster parents to ER doctors and babysitters and everybody in between, they all have to be, they all have to have to be trained in CPR and, and be certified. So, no, I never thought we would be as big as we are, but one of the things that's worked well for us is um, we we only move when we're able to. We only we only jump on opportunities when we're able to under promise and over perform, and we're very cognizant of that. And so, when, as we looked at goals, we really didn't have, and this is embarrassing to say, especially those of y'all who are my business professors at UAB, you, you may be disappointed, but we didn't establish the goals or the smart objectives like we should have at the beginning. Um, almost, we just set up shop and business started coming in. The word of mouth was really growing. So we didn't intentionally focus on the growth um, through the goals side of it at the beginning. We just tried to make sure that the student experience was easy, engaging, and effective so that once someone left a two or three or four hour class with us, that they could leave. And then six months, eight months down the road, someone collapses in front of them, that they're able to instantly recall what they learned with us so that they can turn it into some type of a resuscitation attempt. And that's what we focused on. So our goals were more internal driven of how do people experience us and engage with us and how easy is that process? Uh, how quickly can we support them? Uh, and then and then from there we realized, oh wow, we really are growing. This is crazy. You know, we're real, we're a business, you know. What did UAB provide you to help lay the foundation for Trio Safety and Go Rescue Brands? UAB afforded me some unique opportunities. Um, I'm gonna hone in on the residence life position. So I was a freshman, I had no ties to Birmingham. I didn't have any hooks, if you call it, like I don't know anybody in Birmingham, had no connections here or anything like that. And UAB, what I loved about it, at least for me, was a merit system. So I applied to be a resident assistant and based on my qualifications and, and my interest and passion and in interviews, I got selected. And for me, it seemed like a pretty competitive process. A lot of people wanted to be in the residence life system and help serve in the residence halls and mentor uh, and, and be involved. And so 
that was really significant for me. And I think because um, I was afforded as, a, as an RA and a member of residence life, the ability to kind of make some, uh, have some input in how that looked. And so I really pushed CPR training even then. And in fact, I ended up bringing in a CPR company to train us. Fast forward about seven or eight years, I ended up reconnecting with the guy who trained us and he ended up being a, a really pivotal instructor with us. Additionally, I ended up uh, meeting a guy from Birmingham Fire who fast forward ended up being a battalion chief who trained me when I became a firefighter there. And where I'm going with that is the relationships and the, 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 I guess, professionalism that I learned at UAB from having to interact with so many different players, whether it was on the residence life side, whether it was on the academia side. I was a teaching assistant for a graduate professor and I was an undergrad. That's kind of unheard of. Um, and I was able to start a communications honor society. All of that uh, helped um, kind of paved the way for me by helping me give me life skills. And you can't learn those everywhere. You have to be you know, in a situation to learn them. You have to have contextual learning. And outside the classroom, I think obviously the academic degree is extremely well respected and the academic rigor is all there. But I think those unique experiences that I only would have received by going through them is, is really what helped me you know, be, be who I am today and get our company to where we are today. We talked about having fewer than 50 people when you trained that first year. So how has the business grown since then? So we started um, out of our basement and uh, it was just myself and my wife. She was the CEO and I was the COO and did everything else. And we really um, just focused on how can we make ourselves available to the community and how can we you know, reach the community through classes, et cetera. So where we, we, we started was, hey, where can we find a brick and mortar office? We found one at the Bessemer Airport. Number one, I didn't even know Bessemer had an airport, much less an office space. So we were in a hangar above one of the, you know, office above one of the hangars, <coughs> excuse me, and, and people came, folks came to our classes and I was blown away that people even knew how to get out there. And so we did that for a couple of years. We moved to Homewood, found an office uh, right on Red Mountain and uh, stayed there for uh, three more years. And then um, found another office in, in Homewood. We kind of stayed around the Birmingham, Homewood area um, and, and stayed there for a few more years. And so over time, we started adding more staff instructors. Um, but in 2015, it was kind of a pivotal year. I was working, I just finished working uh, as a police chief at Tannehill State Park and Briarfield State Parks. Um, I'd spent some time working with Geico as an as insurance special investigator and was also just trying to, I was teaching at Troy University in, in academia undergrad and also running the company. And I was teaching Greg about 300 classes a year by myself, plus all the back-end business administration and sales and marketing and growth. And I had a one-year-old, my son Major was one, and I just got so fatigued and so exhausted. I almost got hospitalized. I lost my voice and I realized I can't do all this alone. So I hired my first full-time team member, named Warren Knight, and it changed everything. There went all of our margins, but now I had time. I had time to work uh, on the business instead of in the business. And that forever changed our trajectory. <coughs> Excuse me. So then we started growing more. Um, we uh, we went to three full-time folks, my, myself and my wife included, and then more contract instructors. And then um, in 2017, this is what I think radically changed the company. I got introduced to a gentleman 40 years my senior who had been in the industry for about 50 years. And uh, he had another company called Stop Heart Attack, was looking, he did AED, so the, the, the device, you know, that you shock people with. He was doing those, putting them in schools, UAB, one of the clients, um, you know, many churches, uh, the Georgia Aquarium, you name it. 
And so we were trying to figure out, well, we did the training really well. He did the product really well. How can we merge us together? So that's what we did in January of 2018. And so Floyd and then two people on his team, we now grew to a six-man team in 2018. And, and we're really enjoying that. Well, fast forward, we were able to consolidate locations last year at the very beginning of COVID. One location, one company, five different brands. And now we're at a team of about 19 full-time. And it's been really fascinating just to watch how God's orchestrated it all, but through the commitment and dedication of our team, even through, you know, a global pandemic. With the success you've experienced through the business, where do you see it going in the next 10 to 15 years? So if I were to look in a crystal ball and try to guess where we're going to be, here's what I see. Number one, uncontrolled bleeding is the number two cause of preventable death pre-hospital. And everybody thinks that's shootings. Well, that's not. That's People getting cut in industrial accidents, people you know, working in their yard and getting hit by something or cut or impaled or punctured and not to be graphic, but these things happen. And, and thankfully in Birmingham, we have the best of the best at UAB Trauma Center. Um, Dr. Jeff Kirby is the chief of trauma at UAB and he's one of our medical advisors. And we're always blown away at what he's able to accomplish with his team there in the terms of life saving. We have, we have a brand called Bleeding Control Kits, and we're putting more and more bleeding control kits um, with tourniquets and stuff in schools and, and public utilities and their power trucks and gas trucks and uh, all over the place. And people are using them for home use. I think we're going to grow a lot more there. Um, I think in 10 years, uh, I would love to see the home market proliferated, proliferated with more CPR training and actual AEDs. A lot of people don't know this, Greg, but out of all the sudden cardiac arrests that happen every year outside of the hospital, it's about 400,000 of them, about 75 to 80% of them happen in the homes. Well, AEDs aren't located in the home, and these are automated external defibrillators. They're usually located in parks and schools and churches and businesses and libraries and all these places, but they're not in the homes. Less than one half of 1% of homes have AEDs. If we can proliferate the homes and put AEDs in the homes, now we're going to start seeing an uptick in survival rate. And we're talking from maybe six to 10% of people surviving to 30 to 40% of people surviving from sudden cardiac arrest in the homes if they have the AED. And the AED is really the power of the paramedic. It's the same device that the paramedic's going to bring. And it costs less than a brand new iPhone does. So I don't really understand why people aren't prioritizing that. I know it's great to have the newest iPhone, but if you, especially if you're medically indicated, if you can get an AED in your home or uh, or one in your community, it literally will save lives. And it's, it's amazing when it works. Um, and they're, they're just intuitive devices. So I can see us doing more of that. Um, we just recently uh, rolled out through a, a federal grant with the University of Alabama to help 27 different ambulances in West Alabama have real-time telecommunication with local hospitals over there to help transmit patient data and help with COVID safe protocols and still give better quality of care and the, of the whole West Alabama. So we've been helping with these advanced life support devices um, through Rusty on our team and, and others. But um, I see us really doing exactly what we're doing. Our, our vision is very, very clear to deliver exceptional life-saving solutions. So the more we can uh, you know, penetrate these areas that don't have them, I, th I think we're just gonna be doing more of that in 10 years. That's Brady McLaughlin, founder and CEO of Go Rescue Brands. Brady earned his BA in Communication Studies from the College of Arts and Sciences in 2009. Passionate about his work, he's also passionate about UAB and has a good idea of what it means to be a blazer. To me, when, I'm, when I call myself a blazer, I'm a reflection of my experience at the university. 
I'm also a product of the university. And for the rest of my life, I will have that diploma, but more importantly, I'll have the experience. And then people will look at me as a product of UAB. And so not to be too serious, but that's a big mantle people carry. And you're a representative of UAB for the rest of your life, even though you may not be on staff, even though you may not be involved with the alumni society, even though you may not be on whatever, you are UAB. And when people see you, they see UAB. So for me, what does it mean to be a blazer? It means to be a proud representative and an ambassador of what the UAB experience is. And how do I accomplish that? I just keep doing what I'm doing. I just live out my daily life the way that I think is best. And, um, and hopefully it brings credit on UAB, but that's what a blazer is to me. Be sure to listen into previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. You can find all of them at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers! <laughs>